that when we yield our hearts and our spirits to you, that you promise to provide everything that we need. In the middle of turbulent times and times when we seem like we're in over our head, your promise is I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And I'll provide the rock that you need to stand on. I'll be that rock for you. Thank you for that. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and the hope that we have because of what he did for us. He defeated death at the cross. He promised us new life. Thank you for that. This morning, as we look into your word, I know that our hearts have been drawn in all kinds of different ways this week. And folks represent all kinds of events that have gone on. And some of those events have been really difficult. Some have caused a lot of pain and hurt. There are folks here who have had great victories this week. Every one of us are kind of at a different point. And the wonderful thing about you as God is that you want to meet us where we are and you want to provide all that we need. So we ask that you would do that this morning by your spirit, that you would touch us and speak to us and encourage us. I pray that our attention would be pointed toward Jesus Christ and Christ only. And that we would leave this place this morning better equipped to serve you in a place where our hearts are yielded to you, where the folks around us can see Christ in us. So meet with us, continue to meet with us. Be pleased with our heart attitudes before you this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks, you can have a seat. We've been wandering through the book of Second Peter and uh, Professor Dave last week did a wonderful job at helping us uh, understand a little bit of Second Peter chapter three. And if you've been aware at all of the culture that we're living in, the day and age that we're living in, you've probably noticed, um, if not, if you haven't noticed this, then, then you're living in a bubble and I'd like to join you in the bubble. But you've probably noticed that our world tends to be uh, worshiping the earth that we're living on. And our world is spending more and more time and energy focusing on and thinking about um, how they can save this earth and what they're going to do to save it. And there's actually a lot of worry. There's a lot of concern uh, about this earth um, not being able to sustain life. And if you listen to what's going on, you'll hear that the ocean is warming and we're all going to die. And there's a set of scientists that are talking about the fact that Florida is going to be flooded and won't be on the planet any longer. And other parts of the uh, world are going to disappear underwater. And then there's another set of scientists, I just read this this last week, who are saying that the center of the Atlantic Ocean right now is cooling. It's not warming at all, it's cooling. And uh, there's a cooling effect that's starting to happen. And if that continues at the rate that it's happening, then... Uh, other horrible things are going to happen. And if you listen to another set of scientists, they're saying that the ice, uh, the glaciers and the ice cap is melting at a rapid rate and it's causing more water and uh, the polar bears aren't going to have a place to live. And, but if you listen to another group of scientists, they're saying that it's a swing in the climate and there is a freezing that's coming 
and there's going to be more ice being made, and the polar bears are going to have lots of ice to be on. There are other groups of people who are telling us that the ozone is disappearing at a rapid rate because of all of the industry, in, industrial events that are taking place. But there is another group of scientists who in the last three years, when all things closed down due to COVID, told us that now the CO2 levels in our world are higher than they ever were when they should have dropped because there was less stuff going on in the world. And there are other scientists... We could just keep going. <laughs> it's what we like to do. Because as human beings, we like to think that we're in control. And we like to think that it's up to us to make decisions that will affect the outcome of the world. That's our thought. And that's what we like to think. And... As we study and we become more and more involved in our studies, and I'm not saying, I'm standing up here this morning saying that studying is bad and education is wrong. That's not what I'm saying at all. But scripture tells us that, that knowledge by itself leads us to pride. And in our scientific understanding of things, our knowledge leads us to places and to come to conclusions that aren't often right. And that's also what you find is, and, and, and let me take a whole nother in our medical histories, we were told at one point you should eat no eggs because if you do, you will get high cholesterol. And not too long after that, well, a few years later, they said you should eat lots of them because it's good cholesterol and it's good for, and it goes back and forth all the time, doesn't it? Our scientific, scientific exploration leads us to places that later we find out aren't exactly what we thought at all. Now, I'm not saying we should stop learning. Don't get up, don't go leave here and say, Pastor Jim thinks we shouldn't learn anything. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I am saying is this, we're not in control. And the next few verses that I'm going to read, I want you to understand who is in control. That's what I'm trying to get you to. So I want you to listen really carefully because the part of scripture that we're at this week is 2 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to pick up at verse 10. Dave left us off at 10. He read 10 last week. So we're get, you can tell Pastor Mike, we did a repeat. We're doing one verse twice, okay? So we're way ahead of him, okay? So here we go. We're going to pick it up at verse 10, and we're going to just read a couple of verses this morning to verse 13. Here it goes. Now remember what I said at the beginning. All of our scientific understanding and how we feel about all this stuff and we're trying to save the world. And there are a group of people today who actually we're getting, they're worshiping the world that we're living in, okay? Now let's see what God has to say about that. But the day of the Lord will come. Remember last week, I know I just barely started reading, but I have to stop. <laughs> Remember last week, we were told that the day of the Lord, right, is the fact that God is in control of all things and he ultimately will judge. That's really, in all of its picture, is that God has a timeline and he's in control of that timeline. It, there's nobody outside that's putting any pressure on him. He's in control. And the day of the Lord is the day of the Lord. It's his, okay? So I'll pick up again, ready? But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, 
Do you ever know when a thief is coming? Okay, just remember that. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved. And the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming. But of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat. But based on his promise, we wait for a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Now, remember last week, professor, the professor Dave told us, he's going to, I'm in trouble, by the way, because I don't think he's going to appreciate me calling him Professor Dave, but it, it's what happens in my head. Anyway, he told us that the day of the Lord would come and God would keep his word, even though there were scoffers who will tell us to live it up because the world's just going to end. God hasn't come yet. He, he's not keeping his word. He's not going to show up. And so just do whatever you want. Engage in immoral behavior. Live life to the fullest. Do whatever you want. Don't, don't worry about it. God's not going to judge anything. You're on your own and it's all going to be okay. Do your thing your way. Be you. And we finished last week with the verse that said this, that God is not slow at keeping his promise, but he is patient so that all may come to repentance. God is not sitting in heaven saying, ah, oh, you know, they can just do their own thing. God is waiting patiently because he wants everyone who would possibly turn to him for forgiveness to have the opportunity to turn to him for forgiveness. It's his gracious behavior. It's his gracious demeanor. It's part of his character. It's his mercy for us. And he looks at us and he says, look, they cannot do this on their own. And because they can't do it on their own, I will be gracious to them and I have made a way for them to have a relationship with me, the creator of the universe. And the way that that happens is through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And if they will accept my payment for their sin, then I will make them right and they can be holy before me and they can, they can spend eternity with me in heaven. And I will be patient in waiting for all who would kneel and bow before me and say yes to me. I'll be patient and wait for them. But ultimately, I will judge. Ultimately, there's an end to this, and I will make things right. And so this morning, I want you to think about three thoughts from these, these couple of verses that we just read. And I want you to think about God being in control and sovereign and having a plan and yet being gracious with us and what our response should be to that gracious God. 
who loves us that much. Thought number one that I want you to get, it's found all the way through these three verses, verse 10, 11a, and 12, and that's this, God will return. God will return. He will keep his word. He promised he will return. We won't know when he's going to return. It is unplanned by us. It's not something that we have control of. It's not something that we can make happen. God in his sovereignty has planned that. God the Father has planned that. When Jesus was walking on the earth, somebody asked Jesus when, when God would return, and he said, look, only the Father knows that time. It's the plan of the Father, but he will return. He will come back, and he will make all things right. It is a promise of God. It is planned. He will do it. There was an old preacher who once said it this way, plan like you will be here forever, but live like you will leave anytime. Let me say that again. Plan like you will be here forever, but live like you could leave anytime. And that's the, the thought that God wants us to get. He's saying, look, I am ultimately in control of all of it and I have a plan and you need to be, prepa be prepared and live in such a way that you're ready to go. Because I am coming back. Jesus said it this way in, in Matthew chapter 24. He said this, but know this. If a home, homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and, let his house, and not let his house be broken into. This is why you are also to be ready because the Son of Man is coming at any hour and you don't, the hour you don't expect. He's just going to show up. When he's ready and it's his timetable, he is showing up. And that was the promise that he made, is that he is coming. He's coming back for you and for me. And when he comes back, his promise in these verses, verse 10, 11a, and 12 is this. He says, when he returns, God will judge the earth. Let me say something to you. I'm not going to get all politically correct or incorrect. Well, I'll probably be more incorrect than correct. But anyway, let me say this to you. As human beings, we are not going to ruin this earth. God did not give us the privilege of doing that. Now, you may sit here and you may disagree some of what I'm going to say, but Scripture says this, that God's going to ruin this earth. That's his job. It's not ours. And it's pretty arrogant of us as humans who did not create this to think that we're the ones who are going to ruin it. Now, could God use humans to ruin it? Sure he could. He's God. But the verses we just read tell us this, that God is going to judge. And when God judges, he says this, I'm going to dissolve the whole thing. I'm going to melt the whole thing. <laughs> he created it with his spoken word. A single word brought it into creation. And he has the ability to do the exact same thing when it comes to judgment time. That is not our responsibility. It is not our even ability to do it. Now, we're responsible to care for it. He said that in Genesis. He said, look after it, care for it, use it, subdue it, work it. But we will not ruin it because that is God. God has taken that as his right. And he is the one who is going to ruin and judge and dissolve and create a brand new heaven and a new earth. That is God's place, not ours. This world as we know it will be dissolved. And all the effort that we put in, we as human beings will not save the planet. 
You know that? We're not going to do it. Because it's ultimately God's to make the choice what he's going to do. Thought number one, God will return. And he will judge. That's thought number one. Thought number two I want you to get this morning is this. We are to be holy and godly until his return. If you're a believer here this morning, if you're a believer in in theater two, theater three, four, you're listening online, if you're sitting here this morning and you're a believer, God has control of this earth. That is his domain. He will look after. He will do what he wants with it. Our responsibility before God, and this verse gives it to us in verse 11, the end of verse 11, he says, look, I'm going to do my thing, and your job is this. Until I come back, until I do what I'm going to do, you're to live a holy and a godly life. Stop. It's the end of the sentence. Believers, this morning, I want, to th- I want you to think about last week. I want you to think about your best day. And I want you to think about your worst day last week. How holy and godly were you last week? You're like, Tim, stop. (laughs) Now you've gone to meddling. (laughs) No, but that's what God asks of us. He says, look, I have a responsibility and I'm going to look after my stuff. That's God. But if you're a Christ follower, if you've given your heart and your life to God and you said yes to him, he said your responsibility, your conduct is to be holy and godly while you're living here on this earth. So let's not talk about last week. Let's talk about yesterday. Or how about this morning? And you might be sitting there now and saying, okay, Tim, that's all great, but What does that look like? What does it look like for me to be holy and godly? See, if I'm truly a Christ follower, if I've truly said yes to the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, and I'm expecting Christ to return at any time, like a thief showing up in the night at the unexpected moment, I'm living as if Christ were coming back at any moment he could show up. And I'm living in such a way that I remember that I have been crucified with Christ, and Christ lives in me, and I'm a new creation in Jesus Christ and I'm looking and I'm waiting for Christ to show up, then that should change the way that I live every day of my life. And Peter says that I should live holy and godly if that's truly who I am in Christ. Remember, the false teachers at this point were saying this, live it up, do your own thing, it doesn't matter. God's not going to show up. He's not in control, and it doesn't matter how you live. And Peter is looking at this group of Christ followers, and he's saying, yeah, it matters a lot. And every day you live with the expectation that this could be it. This could be the end. Christ could show up at any moment. And when he shows up, don't you want him to be proud of how you're living your life at that moment? Or do you want him to catch you in the middle of something that is totally unholy and ungodly? And Christ shows up and says, hey, I came to get you. So 
First Peter 1, verses 15 and 16, Peter said it this way, But as the one who called you is holy, you are also to be holy in all of your conduct. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. The word holy there means this. It means to separate, to live a separate life. It means that my life as a Christ follower should not look like the lives of everyone else living in this world. I should be different in some way. Holiness means that sin doesn't rule and reign in my life, but righteousness does. Purity. Rightness. The word godliness is is a respect and an awe for God, an attitude of reverence for who God is and what he's done. So if we put the thoughts together, we put the two thoughts together, then I should be living differently than the world holding God in awe. Our world doesn't hold God in awe. They use his name as a catchphrase. And actually, I'm surprised at the amount of Christ followers who use God's name as a catchphrase. But God tells us here that holiness, living a holy life and a godly life, means that I live in purity, respecting and honoring God for who he is and realizing my place before him and humbling myself before him. So how does that affect us? Well, Paul said it this way. He, he, he wrote these words for us in Romans chapter 13. He said, besides this, since you know the time and it is already an hour for you to wake up from sleep because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. In other words, the, the time of Christ is coming quicker and quicker and quicker. The night is nearly over and the day is near, so let us, here it is, discard the deeds of darkness, put on the armor of light, let us walk with decency as in the daytime, not carousing in drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Paul looks like, at this and he says, look, if you're a Christ follower, then the world's charm and the world's behavior has zero place in your life. Now, as Christians in the day and age we're living, the struggle that we run into is this. We say this and you hear this all the time. Well, I'm free to make choices. I'm free to do whatever I want. And that's true. You can. You are. But living a holy and godly life means that I choose not to do some things that I could do because of what it looks like. It means that I choose not to do some things that I could do because of how it affects other people. Living a pure, holy, godly life means that I take the person of Jesus Christ and I hold him up and I say, that's the example that I want to follow. That's who I want to be like. 
Remember the commercial, I want to be like Mike? I know that's going back a ways. That was Nike's commercial. Well, as Christ followers, it's not I want to be like somebody else. It's who is Christ? What's the character of Christ? What's the person of Christ like? That's who I want to be. That's, that's who I want people to see me as, is Christ. In Titus 2, Paul put it this way, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all pe- people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts, and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age, while we wait for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, look, the age we're living in would draw us to live ungodly lives, to do our own thing our own way. But if we're Christ followers and we have salvation, then we should look different. And we should be different. The end of verse 12 says it this way. He says this, that we are to hasten his coming. Now the word hasten there means, you ready for this? Hasten. That's why I looked it up. It's exactly what it means. The word hasten means hasten. It means to speed up. Now, I don't understand this. If you read that verse and you think about it, I don't completely understand this. Because the way the verse reads says this, that if we live a holy and godly life, we speed up the return of Jesus. That's what the verse is reading. Now, isn't he sovereign and he has a plan? Yes, he does. Yes, he is. I thought of a couple other instances in Scripture where this takes place. Do you remember the story back in Genesis 18 when Abraham had a visitor? He had three visitors, actually. One was a Christophany. It was a Christ in the form of a person who came. And they came to his tent. It was two angels in Christ, a Christophany. He came to his tent. And they were on their way to Sodom and Gomorrah to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham stops them and he feeds them and they talk. And God is getting ready to leave in that particular place. And he says, hold it. Abraham is going to be the father of a great nation. And I'm going to bless the whole world through Abraham. I think I should tell him what's about to happen. And so they turn around and they come back and they tell Abraham, Abraham, we're going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. And you remember what Abraham did? Abraham gets before God and he says, God, I don't want you to wipe them completely off the earth. If there are 50 righteous, would you change your mind? And God says, yes. And he goes all the way down to 10 people. And God says, yes. Now, is God sovereign? Does he have a plan? Yeah, he's going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. And he does, by the way. But for some reason, he allows the righteous to have input. And what he's about to do. The other time that that happens, by the way, is Jonah. If you remember the prophet Jonah is going to Nineveh. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. You remember the whole story there, but he finally goes to Nineveh. And God tells him, look, this is what I want you to tell Nineveh. I want you to tell, tell them their, their, their sin is horrible before me. And I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth. And I want you to tell them to repent because in 40 days I'm going to kill all of them. That's the abridged version. And Jonah walks before the nation of the city of Nineveh and he tells them all, look, if you don't repent, God's going to wipe you off the face of the earth. And they repent. Every one of them repent. And the king says, dress in sackcloth and ashes, get before God. We're repenting. And God saves them. 
Now, did God change his mind? He's sovereign and he has a plan. No. He allowed the righteousness, the holiness, the repentance of those people to save their lives. So these two truths seem like they're bumping into each other, and in our minds they are, and this verse does the same thing. But what it tells me is this, that God has a desire for us to live holy and righteous lives, and our holy and righteous lives have an effect on the people around us and their ability to come to Jesus Christ, and it has an effect on how God responds to humanity. That's all I know. But the verse tells me this, that if I live a holy, godly, righteous life, that it somehow hastens the return of Jesus Christ. And I want that. I don't know about you, but I want that. And so it gives me a desire in my heart and in my being to say yes to him and to live to the best of my ability with the power of the Holy Spirit a holy and a godly life before him. Third thought as we wrap this up this morning is this. It's found in verse 13. He says this, we have hope. He says, I'm gonna wipe, I'm gonna clean this, I'm judging this earth. These false prophets, they're teaching you one thing, but I'm the one who's ultimately in control. That's what God says. I'm the one who's gonna look after this. But as a Christ follower, if you're a Christ follower here today, if you have said yes to the finished work of Jesus Christ, you and I, we have hope. We have hope. That verse says this, it says, based on his promises, I have hope. What are his promises? God always keeps his word. God's never left me hanging. Has he ever left you hanging? Has he ever left you without hope, without an answer? No. He always provides, he always cares, he always meets our needs, he always hears a repentant heart, any heart, no matter where we are, no matter how far we've gone, no matter how sinful we are, if we repent and we come before Jesus Christ, he hears us, that's his promise. Anyone who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. He makes room for those who understand their need of a Savior. He provides. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. I'm going to prepare a place for you and I will go away. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. So that where I am, there you may be also. You know the way to where I'm going. This is John chapter 14. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus told him, read it with me. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. The promise of God to us is, if you're a Christ follower here this morning, you have hope. You have a future. I, God looks at us and he says, I have a plan for you. I didn't just come to redeem you and leave you on your own to figure life out. I came to redeem you, to make you a new creation in Christ and give you a home, give you a place at the table, make you part of the family, a child of God. 
If you look at scripture, he promises new life to us in 2 Corinthians. He says he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He promises the same power that rose Jesus from the dead will live in you. I give it to you. You're a new creation with new life. You're a people with a hope and a future. So Peter looks at this and he says, look guys, this is really serious. God is going to judge. God will change the earth. God's going to wipe it out. That's what he's going to do. It's part of his plan. And if you live a, a godly, holy life in some way as believers, we hasten the day of God. But beyond that believer, you have hope today. You have hope today. This world is not going to suck you in. This world is not going to crush your spirit, and it can't. Let me encourage you this morning. If you'll live for him, if you'll put him first, maybe you're here and you don't, you haven't accepted what Christ has done for you on the cross. You haven't come to the place where you've repented for your sin and have new life in Jesus Christ. If you will go there, if you will do that, you have a home. You have eternity with him. Can I encourage you this morning to live in the promised hope of Jesus Christ? Live toward his end, not the world's end. Live in such a way that folks will see Christ in you, the hope of eternity. Folks, when we look at the news and we look at what the scientists are telling us and the thoughts that everyone has about this world, it's pretty, it's pretty bleak. It's pretty hopeless. And we can worry and we can fret about what's going to happen and we can live our lives scrambling around trying to do all this stuff. God says, that's not how I want you to live. I want you to live in the hope of a future with me. A hope in new life. And you can offer that hope to the folks you live life with. Will you, believer? Will you? Father, thank you for the promises that you've given us. Thank you for the reminder this morning from, the, from, from Peter Thank you that you are ultimately in control and this earth is in your hands, not ours. Oh, what a mess if it's in ours. Thank you that in your sovereign plan, you've made a way for us to be redeemed and renewed, to have hope, to have a future. God, help us as believers to live in that hope. Father, if there's some here this morning who don't have a relationship with you, they don't know what it means to be a child of God. I pray that you, by your spirit, would draw them to yourself. Help them to understand that they can be forgiven and made new. Their sin can be removed and washed clean by what you've done on the cross for us. Thank you for the work of your son, Jesus Christ. Our hope is in you. In your name we pray. Amen.